0: Hello, everyone. Uh, we are back uh, at the uh, Quant Financial Engineering um, podcast for, and I say that every time, an interesting uh, uh, podcast and topic, but this one is really interesting. Uh, first of all, because uh, the um, the topic is a very uh, topic that is dear, very dear to my heart. It's called the Geometry of Time. And I have... Um, the perfect person to 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 discuss it, to, to to introduce you to it, and so you could have a nice conversation. I have uh, Guraj Sangha who's a former uh, Quant research head at uh, Token Metrics. Um, he will be um, uh, with Aria as well, that uh, has found some interesting in the topic, so they will both uh, be on the line. So uh, let Guraj, let's just start by saying. Um, give us a little bit of background about yourself and then introduce the topic and we'll go from there.
1: Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks very much for having myself and Aria. Great. Uh, it's, uh, you know listened to a number of your podcasts and they're always uh, quite interesting and quite informative. So for myself, um, my background is, is largely in financial markets, both legacy and crypto. I um, you know, graduated from Brown University, uh, you know, some time back with degrees in engineering, economics, and pre-medicine. Uh, did a tour at Goldman Sachs and uh, CSFB in the research area, and eventually moved on to the trading side, traded actually crude oil options on the floor of the New York Merc- Mercantile Exchange, moved upstairs, you know, ran a number of uh, global macro, um, you know, uh, market neutral equity, you know, vol and equity vol our portfolios for several years, and um, you know, eventually was managed uh, you know, the entire strategy and risk at a very large hedge fund about six billion capital. Got a bit more involved in data science, machine learning. I ended up leading the data science, risk and market intelligence team at State Street, uh, building a competitive platform to BlackRock's Aladdin. And you know, through that tour, started getting more involved in crypto. And in the last few years have been. Uh, in the trenches in crypto, and in particular, trying to apply a lot of the traditional quant and sort of emerging you know, factor-based models in uh, the legacy markets into the crypto space. And through that um, journey, uh, you know, one of the most challenging aspects, uh, as I'm sure you know, is, is not only you know, when we're you know, talking markets and trying to understand direction and risk is the time component. You know, There are t- t- periods in, in markets and in, in life in general, which... Uh, there's tremendous um, you know it's quite sanguine quite calm and other times there's enormous amounts of volatility and the challenge we had particularly from trading volatility was because there's this time component uh, you know particularly when you're a long vol you're always fighting decay is could we develop an approach that at least narrowed that uh, you know beyond what you know traditional models quant approaches uh, you know things like log periodic power law Uh, could we you know figure out something uh, a bit more deep and then you know, know, for the past number of years, I've looked at this particular aspect, this time aspect from a number of different angles, um, you know, mathematical, quantitative, uh, but also much more qualitative and behavioral.
0: And, uh, you know, it's a fairly interesting topic. Okay, so um, let's jump into uh, what do you mean by the geometry of time?
1: So... When we think of time um, you know most uh, you,
0: know, I guess, uh,
1: you know research in this area is the assumption is that there's a linearity to it and that uh, you know events occur sequentially and and you know we as humans and let's say other biological beings you know process time sequentially and what I've found is that um, you know when we actually look at markets um, you know, there are a number of factors, you know, for example, we're looking at, let's say, the S&P 500 index, the, you know, the recent sell-off, you know, in part driven by interest rates, uh, inflation expectations, you know, changes in monetary policy, you know, the, the war, the Ukraine-Russia conflict, you know, among others. Um, but the, the question that I started asking myself is that, is it necessarily true that, um, you know, events happen sequentially, or is there, is, is there, is there, a, a dimension to time or a way to measure time um, which influences you know asset trajectories in a nonlinear way and in that regard um, you know I started to do some more investigative work on uh, you know for example uh, you know Einstein when he when he talks about uh, the theories of uh, special relativity that space and time are in inextricably in connected um, you know, you know, we're talking about like non accelerating observers and things of that nature. Um, but also, you know, the, when you kind of expand it to the general theory of relatively you know massive objects warp the fabric of space-time is there something comparable from a market perspective that's practical, that's applicable, that can help um, you know, gauge assessments and in, in, in you know from a sort of a quantitative perspective trajectories. And the in that uh, regard, uh, you know there there wasn't actually a whole deal of literature uh, with respect to time in and of itself I and mean, there's enormous amounts of literature with respect to applying quantitative techniques uh, you know factor-based models machine learning models um, you know spectral analysis Fourier analysis on and on and so then that was that was fundamentally my question that are there you know we've we know that there's you know generally four seasons in a year you know there's day and night there there's there's cycles in different aspects of existence, but is, there, is you know, is there some sort of cycles uh, in markets themselves? And if there is, uh, is this purely linear? If it's linear, you know, they constantly fail when we actually try them, and so therefore, is there is, this, is, this a, is there another geometry to them? Something that we could potentially measure, uh, in quantify, and actually develop models around. I think, I think you're on. Uh, the, you,
0: you, you, um, you know, the Egyptians believed that, in fact, time wasn't uh, a linear; it was actually a circle, uh, and and we keep, you know, repeating things over and over and over. It's just that you're in that fractal time where you seeing your little bit of um, uh, uh, space, right, and 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 you're seeing. Well, it looks like it's linear, uh, but maybe you're right. Maybe there's something else going on here. Um, in terms of us being um, um, not looking at the really big picture, right, right. Um, because when you look at the markets, and I've spoken to a few people, uh, and basically we are all—you're right—we're all trying to figure out, you know, how does it work, and how can we predict? machine learning, you know, factor modeling, and, and 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 trying to find a reasoning behind it. Um, well, in fact, we the, the, the bigger picture might be expect you know uh, escaping us. Uh, it has nothing to do. First of all, I think we realize now that it's nothing much to do with financials anymore, right? right. Um, uh, so we're getting into um, um, alternative data. You know, is it is it the is it is it the web traffic? Uh, is it something else that's that's driving this this thing? Um, but yet something is driving it. Something I always tell my student is, hey, uh, maybe it's luck. But luck is what we really don't understand, right? I mean, when you, if you're going to drop a, a, a pen, uh, you know it's going to drop. It's not like, oh, maybe it goes up. Uh, uh, it's going to drop. So it's not luck. There's no luck involved. It's just that we know what's making the, 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 the pen drop. We just don't know really what's getting the market go where it goes in addition to that uh block theory tells us that maybe you know the past the present the future it it's already there we haven't seen it yet but it's there and i think uh is it einstein that that came up with that theory uh i forgot but there's something such a thing called as block theory mm-hmm. where uh, frankly uh yeah you you think you're moving through time but you're not really moving through time. You're just moving through the present, but uh, which you need just, you just have to discover it because it's already there.
2: And that's why I think
0: it's interesting. What you're saying is because you know, there's something out there and you, and, and, and we're all trying to find little bits that you can make a lot of money just by predicting <laughs> some of those little bits of pieces. And so that's what we're doing. But maybe there's something, you know, larger right through time. That's that that we don't see yet, or we're seeing bits and pieces and sometimes we're lucky enough to catch it. And we think, no. yes, machine learning. Yes. If you look at, uh, what was it? When Netflix uh, crashed by 60%, right, right, if you were to look at the, the hiring patterns at Netflix at that time, you would have found that it was dropping. Well, I guess if they don't feel like hiring people, internally, they know something is going on. So I guess if you knew that, um, then you could have predicted the drop. Um, so how do we and how do we approach this? Go ahead.
1: Well, the the you know the, the Netflix example is, is an interesting one because certainly from you know there's enough granularity in the data that we can uh, at a minimum uh, make assessments as to whether there's a bullish or bearish bias. Um, but the other part which was interesting is is things like Netflix for which there's a, a a, a strong social component. that um, There's a biological and behavioral component, and and one of the you know areas that we, uh, I had I'd looked at it some time back, and in fact I was actually uh, through a book that Arya had uh, acquired. I mean she, she's been very involved in the visual arts, and uh, I think the name of the book was "The Drawing on the Right Right Side of the Brain" by I believe, Betty Edwards. So the, the interesting. Uh, Part was the way, uh, you know, actually, Arya, why don't you, uh, you remember that book? Why don't you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, uh, the book was about um, different ways that we draw using psychological mechanisms. And Betty Edwards had used the research done by Roger Sperry to write the book. And he ended up winning a Nobel Prize later on. But Roger Sperry was a psychobiologist whose research had focused on the human brain hemisphere function, and he had came to found that the human brain used two fundamentally different modes of thinking. One that consisted of verbal, analytical, and sequential uh, methods, which was known as the left brain, and the other that was more visual, perceptual, and simultaneous, which is the right side of the brain.
1: what, what was the, you know, with, with, like in the book, they talked about the perception of time. Did you recall how that, that, okay, Yeah,
2: so the perception of time in terms of drawing, I think that many artists have spoken about seeing things a little differently when drawing, me included. And we we often mention that like drawing tends to put us into a somewhat altered state of awareness. And in that different subjective state, artists speak about feeling transported or at one with with their work. I know whenever I'm drawing, I tend to lose track of time because I'm so immersed within what I'm doing that I just, I lose track of time. And while we're at one with the work, we're able to grasp relationships between um, things that we may not necessarily grasp when we are aware of the passage of time. And so this awareness of the passage of time tends to fade away, and words recede from the consciousness. And I think a lot of artists say that they feel alert and aware when they're relaxed, when they're relaxed and free of anxiety, and yet they're experiencing a pleasurable, almost uh, mystical activation of the mind through artistry.
1: So that 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 part of it was was interesting because when. Um you know, you, you, you mentioned how, like even the Netflix example that we can, we can use data uh, and then, you know, understand, you know, behavioral patterns to at least assess, you know, uh, near-term directional trajectories, but the, the time part is where it's really interesting because instead of a single, let's say like a 5%, you know, drop in in the price because of, you know, missing projections, there's an enormous drop and those type of, you know, you know, Type events occur extraordinarily rarely, and so the the the, the question that I the, the, you know kind of goes back to the, the fundamental question whether I was trying to figure out is that um, you know you think of artists that you know you lose sense of time when you've made this shift from sort of your left analytical side of the you know the brain to the right uh, you know more visual perceptive side, and if that's the case at an individual level, is it also can we extend it you know to a large population like herd behavior? And so in cases like Netflix is that, did that type of shift occur, um, you know, at a global level in terms of behavioral patterns, uh, which uh, allowed for an, an enormous, you know, sort of shift uh, in, in uh, manifested as price behavior. And if that's the case, is there a way um, that we can, you know, you know, use quantitative approaches to actually identify those specific points, you know, along let's say a linear timeline in which, you know, you're, one should expect an enormous movement know, up or down, let's say in the trajectory or something or the enormous shift in volatility as opposed to, you know, merely using, let's say you know, a traditional signal that you we know, should be bullish or bearish. So that that was sort of the, the uh, uh, you know, interesting part of that, that, you know, we started to work, on. I mean, we looked at different techniques like log periodic power law, which you know, it was interesting uh, in you know, trying to identify these type of inflection points, but, you know, wholly incomplete by, by you know, many measures.
0: But what would you use, uh, and I address that question to ARIA as well, how do we, so what do we use to, uh, I mean, it's not like we have a clock that's measuring the time that's going on in every single action that's happening out there where, you know, another clock is speeding very fast because somehow they they are seeing, uh, they're being angst all at the same time, and or they're not. Uh, it's almost like a gauge, you know. Because you, you know, how do you know? How do you know that what has happened? Um, uh, the only reason you know that there is a past is because you could remember it. Otherwise, technically, you know, you wouldn't know when, you know, if you're the, if you're an embryo, you wouldn't feel bad of not being born. You know what I mean? So it's all about um, conceptually. How, how to look at it now you're asking us a very difficult question so you're <laughs> saying uh, you got enough forget all that no 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 there's something else going on and it has to do with the way we we are we are viewing the time like almost a time compression i guess if you you know if you were to to fly uh, you know miles away from earth uh, versus being here t- in fact time for everyone is different believe it or not yeah. i mean you don't see it um but somehow to try to capture and the only way we're capturing it is really through their actions right we're capturing it through um um um, we think we think we're capturing it through the you know the in in the case of netflix or the fact that they've dropped uh, they haven't been hiring people but is that really what's driving it happens to match it happens to make sense but is it really what's driving it but what would you, what could you possibly use as a, as another measure? I mean. Um...
1: No, absolutely. And, and, and you know, when we look at uh, sort of the, the attempts uh, in this regard, uh, that you know, sort of traditional psychotherapists, theorists such as, uh, uh, you know, Kondratiev and Juggler Kitchen, um, you know, people like that, they've generally, when they've tried to uh, look at, economic, generally economic and market phenomena through the prism of time, uh, they, they largely use, you know, fixed you know, with slight variation in terms of, you know, cycles. Kondratiev waves, I think, like 40 to 60 years apart, um, you know, applied to, you know, economic behavior. Uh, juggler, you know, use fixed investment cycles of 7 to 11 years. Uh, kitchen, you know, 40, I think it was 40-month cycles. Uh, Dewey, you know, had an, you know, somewhat, you know, non-linear approach, you know, 17.75 years, but, you know, some non-linear as- non-linearity uh, aspect to it. Um, but they've, they've largely, uh, with attempts to basically identify um, meaningful inflection points in the future, you know, from a peer time uh, perspective, you know, regardless of, of what's happening with, with price. Um, but they've, they've, you know, the those type of approaches, you know, what we've noticed is that, uh, you know, you know they'll, they'll occasionally be right. It's just like a broken clock can be right, uh, you know, you know, twice a day, um, but they're not consistent and therefore they're not, uh, you know, practically can apply it from a, you know, from a portfolio perspective or really any other perspective. And, um, but, you know, there's actually some interesting work that uh, Martin Armstrong has done um, with his approach to, to cycles and, and he kind of looks at, you know, measuring, uh, he did actually did some interesting work. What he, what he did is he took the um, he looked at the, I think it was the past 200 plus years uh, the number of uh, you know panics that had occurred over you know that period of time and panics has you know, kind of measured by either either economic behavior you know and substantial GDP contractions market behavior like you know the 29 crash 87 crash things like that and uh, then he looked at you know, w- you know roughly what is the average Duration between these panics, and he found that to be uh, 8.61 years. That in of itself is, you know, on, on average there should be some sort of you know, a, a shift in economic confidence every 8.6 years. The interesting part was when he, um, you know, there were actually two interesting parts. He, you know, he took that measure, this fixed measure, uh, started moving it forward from the 1929 crash. Okay, I mean, occasionally you know you're unfound to have you know, some major hits along the way. And one of them have to be the the 87 crash, like like to the day. Um, that that was interesting, but you know we can you know with a large enough sample we're going to see that type of behavior. The more interesting aspect is when he converted 8.6 years to um, to days number of days you know that are in 8.6 years you found that to be 3141 days which happens to be pi times 1000 kind of going back to the in you know, your comment with with respect to the egyptians and so that made him think okay is there some you know some frequency component to time something that's measurable let's say you know we kind of talk in terms of frequencies that if we look at you know a series of frequencies and and with different sort of starting and ending points, can that start to give us some sense on a forward basis um, to be able to predict to the day on this day Netflix is, is going to have an unusually large, you know, two three four standard deviation move as opposed to just a day in which there may be a you know an inflection, and so his work is kind of you know, it's somewhat interesting in that regard. Um, but you know, even then, I think uh, from we you know as we get more data, we sort of get a lot more alternative data. You mentioned uh, you know credit card transactions, web traffic. Uh, I think it's still, it seems to still fundamentally go back to that there's there's this sort of behavioral, you know, almost like you know bio you know, or psychobiological bioelectric component, which is actually difficult to measure. And, and 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 you know, when you mentioned the the book Free Will and Time, um, which you know I haven't read, but I know it's I've come across the title I haven't actually read the book but
0: Berkson uh, yeah Berkson has wrote an incredible book on that.
1: yeah so the intro like the one interesting part I found about it was that uh, you know his sort of contention that you know, you know math physicists and mathematicians conceive time as measurable constructly, you know spatial dimensions but in, in our experience uh, you know we perceive it, perceive it to be continuous and unmeasurable and you know, a, you know, rather than a succession of marked off states of consciousness, so that you know made that and it kind of it was very interesting that you were reading that book. Uh, but the, I'd love to hear a little bit more about it if you have a, a, I will
0: I will, I'll, I'll share maybe you know what, we're probably going to need another session because that's gonna uh, just talk <laughs> about his, but I mean, you know what, I, I think what you're saying basically feels like it's like dark, dark matter, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, we we know it's there because there's no way this whole thing could fit together, but we can't see it. And I think that's exactly what's happening here. Yeah. Um, and, and then now that you bring out the notion of free will, I mean, uh, when you look at Bergson's um, uh, writings, I mean, it's, it's philosophical, obviously, but, but it does, as Aria mentioned, there is a, there is a emotional component of how we look at time. Now, um, there was some uh, recent uh, this research done on free will recently, and um, we're basically—I mean—all these traders making those decisions. You're assuming that they're doing it; they're, they 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 do have a free will, right? But we have shown and and and, and proven that before you make a decision, right, the brain are, has already made that decision for you. And this is what's scary. I mean, for example, if I were to ask a bunch of people, hey, uh, name me a country, uh, a European city, you are not going to name a country that you do not know. So, so you don't have the free will to decide whatever you want, right? Your will is probably constructed and built to around, well, only a few cities, you know, England and I mean, uh, Paris and London. And I mean, I got to know those cities. If I don't know them, I'm not going to be able to tell you what they are. So you don't really have Total but what they've shown is that they have done uh, literally um, um, with brain waves showing when the instant the decision that you made versus the brain waves left your brain so to speak and say okay do it there is a fraction of time it's not instantaneous so when you decide something you, you that's not when you decided you decided it a little while ago so there is a there is a space there is a time here as well now is it yours or is it your brain or is it a combination of all your experience together that makes you decide that point i really that free will and that would make sense then to have a market that's kind of deciding things uh that can be predicted because at the end of the day they're not really deciding anything Because if time is lagged and you have no free will, then you just have to find the right combination. It's a big circle that keeps going over and over and over. So there's definitely research to be done. Um, I mean, some people are are lucky enough to, to, to find it once in a while and consistently enough. And because we have so much data now, it's becoming possible to look for these things, I think. But then... If we do find it, then what's the fun in it, then, right? I mean, better not tell anyone about it that you find <laughs> <laughs> you found it. Otherwise, it's going to be everyone. This is most interesting, but I have to stop here. Okay. Uh, I don't want to go on too, too far. Okay, so what we have decided today is that instead of focusing only on um, uh, you know alternative data and uh, maybe we should take a more grandiose approach to time itself and understand that there is something else that's guiding this principle. And I'd be curious to hear about more about that research that you mentioned, but we'll do it. Uh, we'll do it off track. Uh, Aria, Guraj, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, we'll definitely uh, have another session. Maybe I'll do a, a special podcast with Aria on that book because it seems to be a lot more. Uh, in it. Uh, and it sounds quite interesting. Well, thank you very much for your time, and uh, we'll pick this up at a later date.
1: Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Bye bye.